In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When I was in college, one of my favorite professors was a man who I never actually had in class, but who I got to know pretty well from life around campus. He had spent most of his career in politics as an economic policy advisor, working in various administrations before moving full-time into academia. He was also a man of deep faith, and he and I had some wonderful discussions over the years while I was an undergraduate, and even more so when I went back to study divinity in preparation for the priesthood. We didn't always agree on our political and theological viewpoints, but I had immense respect for his opinions. And one thing I have always remembered him saying is that after all his years working in politics, he had come to the realization that you can love legislation, but you can't legislate love. His point was twofold. Laws are good, they are important, they are necessary. They protect people and they give them an opportunity to thrive, but there is a limit to what they can do. Some people think that if we can just get the right laws passed and properly enforced, we can solve all the problems with society. But this he had learned over the decades is not true. Because when it comes to issues of, of morality, of ethics, of goodness and kindness and compassion, you can't create that in people through rules and laws. As important as those are, they can't make us love. Our soul, our morality, our character instead comes from the heart, which is shaped by other forces. I think this is very much the point that Jesus is trying to make in the first part of our Gospel passage this morning. Following laws does not necessarily make you a good person, because they do not impact the state of your soul, the purity of your heart. In this passage, Jesus is in one of his frequent arguments with the Pharisees. And at issue is the fact that his disciples did not ritually wash their hands before eating a meal. Thus they were ignoring the traditions of the elders, which were a set of teachings that had been added to the purity laws given for worship in the temple, and expanded those laws all the way into daily life, thinking that that would ensure everyone's holiness all the time. The Pharisees were famous for clinging tightly to these teachings and forcing others to abide by them, but Jesus points out the ridiculousness of this practice, reminding them that such a rule does nothing to actually make one pure and holy, since, as he says, all food just simply passes through the body and goes out in the soup. No, the true sins of one's life, the things that actually break the commandments and defile a person's soul, things like murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander, these proceed from the heart. They have nothing to do with whether you ritually washed your hands before a meal. 
The Pharisees have it backwards, he's saying. They think they can make people faithful and good and holy by external laws and rules, but it doesn't work that way. They love legislation. But they don't realize they can't legislate love. But if you can't make people love by laws and rules, how are our hearts shaped then? How do people become good, such that what proceeds from them is a life that is holy and righteous? This was something my professor and I spent much time talking about, for it is clearly a complex process. But I have come to believe that our hearts are shaped most indelibly through a process of osmosis or absorption. We are shaped by what we choose to surround ourselves with, the kinds of people we are in close relationships with, the kind of work that we spend our days doing, the kinds of information we choose to ingest. Those influences are how our souls are fashioned, how our moral character is developed, how we become the kind of person that we are. That's why Jesus called his disciples to follow him, not just listen to him. Because if he's really trying to reshape their hearts while his lessons and teachings are brilliant and powerful, the way they will actually become more like him is by steeping in his atmosphere, by being near him, by coming close to him and spending time in his presence. And this is the essence of the difference in God's approach with the incarnation. God tried legislating us to love one another. We had the tablets, right? But we didn't get it. We couldn't live it. So God came close to be with us, to enter into our world and our life in Jesus so that we might be surrounded and shaped by his presence. If you've had the experience of a loving and strong family, or close friendships, important teachers, or, or coaches, or mentors, or colleagues who have shaped your heart for the better, you know that this is how it works in ways sometimes too subtle to notice, we take on some of their characteristics. Some of their soul imprints on us and becomes part of who we are. They are the sources and the forces of our identity and our character. They are what make us good, maybe even holy people. But the reverse is also true. I've had so many conversations with people who are being torn up or twisted by toxic relationships they can't seem to break free of. Or a job that is slowly eroding their morality by causing them to compromise their character day after day. There are also those who find themselves in a constant state of agitation brought on by the cacophony of voices in what they read or watch or listen to. 
These people can feel their hearts being shaped in ways they do not like. And lucky for them, they are aware of it and seeking to reverse the progression. Others, I'm afraid, are not so lucky. Their hearts are degraded day by day until they have become someone they don't even recognize. A person whose heart is full of greed or acrimony or or those evil intentions. And they are thinking or saying or doing things that they once would have been ashamed of. Our hearts are shaped by what we surround ourselves with, whether we are aware of it or not. Which means, we need to be very intentional about what it is we surround ourselves with. We need to seek out sources that will protect and sustain and strengthen our souls, not degrade or defile them. And this is, not coincidentally, one of the core components of the sacramental rite of baptism. In a minute, I promise, in a minute, these three families will stand up and present their beautiful children for baptism. And the question that will be hovering in the air will be, how will the hearts of these children be shaped? And as an answer, parents and godparents will name and renounce the forces of wickedness that rebel against God, the evil powers of this world, which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, the sinful desires that draw us from the love of God. And then they will affirm their intent to draw close to Jesus Christ, putting their trust in His grace and love, promising to follow and obey Him as their Lord. His is the presence within which we want these children to steep so that they may be shaped by His Spirit of light and love, and then grow into the full stature of Christ. And then, just as importantly, so be ready, all of us will pledge everything in our power to do the same. Which means we're on the hook. We are the ones meant to surround them with positive influences and forces, exhibiting and exuding the love and the life and the light of Christ so that it may be manifested to these young hearts and shape them for good. In baptism, we seek to shape the heart of another by surrounding them with a community of care that instills in them the love of Jesus Christ. We are to be the source from which flows a life of goodness and grace, of of generosity and mercy, of peace and of patience, of strength and power, of wonder and praise, so that we might help create more people whose lives reflect the same. Laws and rules are never going to be able to do that. But our love, our love is. Amen.